0: And uh, this morning, we're going to be in Mark 7, and the message is entitled, The Heart of the Issue is the Issue of the Heart. The Heart of the Issue is the Issue of the Heart, and as we get into this story, I think a lot of us are going to actually be able to relate uh, to this story this morning. Let me ask you a question, no show of hands, but have you ever been on the receiving end of scrutiny or criticism uh, of someone who is very religious based on something you did or didn't do? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) And I hope today you walk out, hopefully, prayerfully, not saying that's what I just experienced. That's not the point this morning. Uh, The truth is that all of us probably have been on the receiving end of scrutiny or criticism from religious people. And, you know, we have to consider how that made us feel. Nobody in the room would say, man, I really enjoyed that. I wish that would happen every day. Uh, Nobody would say that. The second question I would ask is have we personally ever been on the giving end of scrutiny? Or criticism of other people based on our thoughts or perceptions of our religion and what they should or shouldn't be doing and of course the answer to that is also yes right we've we've all done that nobody will confess that of course uh, you know I'm glad you're talking about the people that aren't here because nobody in the room has done that right well in Mark chapter 7 what we're going to see is that the religious leaders of the nation of Israel the Pharisees that the Jewish conservative religious scholars of Jesus' day, they're going to begin to criticize and to find fault with the disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's the issue of their criticism. The issue of their criticism is hand washing, something very applicable today. (laughs) Hello? Okay. And, And so ultimately, ultimately what's going to happen is the Lord Jesus Christ is going to use this opportunity to address a bigger issue. And and the bigger issue is not hand-washing, as you already can tell from the notes. The bigger issue is our heart. And Jesus always gets to the heart of the issue because the, the heart of the issue is the heart. It's always the heart. And so let me pray and we'll get into the text and spend some time in the word. Father, we, we thank you again for the morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you for, for everyone that's watching today, our church family that, that's at home worshiping. Uh, Lord, I pray that you bless them. Father, bless us in the room. Thank you for our children's ministry going. I pray you, you just bless those guys and may they, may they learn the word of God. And, and Lord, thank you for the teachers and the volunteers that we have to, to, to commit their time to minister uh, to those children because they are a worthy investment And uh, Lord, we thank you so much for that. And we thank you for the word of God that we can gather corporately and we can study and we can learn. And Lord, you can meet us where we are. Whatever we walked in with today, uh, Lord, I believe you have a word for us. And so help us to trust you with that. Help us to receive your word as it is in truth, the word of God. And uh, do a work in our hearts and lives today. We need you and we ask it all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Let me have you look at verses one to five real quick. Mark chapter seven, verses one to five. Normally, I read the entire passage. It's about 23 verses. so we're going to read sections at a time, if you're cool with that. Verse one says this: "Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem, And when they saw some of His disciples, some of Jesus' disciples, eat bread with defiled," that is to say, with unwashing hands, they found fault. The Pharisees found fault. For the Pharisees and all the, all, and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft," or in other words, often, they eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots and brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, they asked Jesus, "'Why walk thy disciples not according? to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands." And so your first point in the notes this morning is this, we're going to see two groups of people and the question for us is, are we walking by faith or do we find ourselves walking looking for fault? Do we walk by faith or do we walk looking for fault? And again, what we're seeing is these religious Pharisees, they're scrutinizing, they're finding fault with the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, again, remember these Pharisees were the conservatives of the Jewish community. They held the scripture in very high regard. They believed in the resurrection from the dead. The truth is, if you were in the first century and you run into a Pharisee, you probably would have some similar agreements concerning the Bible, concerning the scriptures. Uh, At this point in Mark chapter seven, the disciples have had quite the journey. If you go back to Mark chapter six, That's when the feeding of the 5,000 happened. And so that was a pretty tremendous uh, ministry opportunity. A a lot of work went into that. Jesus provided uh, a multiplied nourishment for 5,000 men plus their, their wives, plus their children. And then in Mark chapter six, we find that the disciples get into a ship to cross the sea. And of course the storm comes. Jesus in this story is not in the boat with them, but comes to them walking on the water and and of course they're fearing for their life. They've, they're rowing. Jesus comes in the fourth watch of the night. So they've been rowing all night long. They're exhausted. And then they get to Mark chapter seven and they finally get something to eat. (laughs) And I mean, they've had just a few couple of days of significant ministry with the Lord following him by faith, seeing some miracles, doubting, seeing God deliver, and now they, they just want to sit down and, and get a meal, and, and guess what? You can't, even, you can't even sit down. They can't even sit down and have a meal without being found with fault by religious Pharisees. And, and you know, the same is true for us. If we're not careful, we, we want to make sure we differentiate religion and tradition with biblical Christianity. We want to make sure that our Christianity is not just a religion, but it's rooted in a relationship with Christ and it's rooted in the authority of scripture. And so what's happening is these Pharisees look at these disciples of Jesus and they're like, man, what's some just dirt bags, you know? That's in the Greek if you study that. What's some dirt? I mean, they're, they're eating with unwashing hands. How gross is that? And, and, and listen, the Pharisees were, were no stranger to, to scrutinizing and criticizing other people. If you didn't hold their tradition, well, you were looked, looked down upon. But here's what we need to know about the Pharisees. The same thing they're doing to the disciples is the same thing they did to Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. And, and let me show you how they found fault with Jesus. Uh, number one in your blanks, the Pharisees found fault by watching what Jesus did. They, they were always watching, but they were watching with a critical eye. They weren't watching to behold his miracles, to, to, conf, you know, to, to come to the realization that he is God in the flesh. No, they watched so that they could accuse him. Mark chapter 3 and verse 2 says that they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, not because they wanted to see a man healed. They watched him that they might accuse him. Do you see the motive? Do you see the reason that they're watching? They're they're watching to criticize, to find fault. They even listened to Jesus' teachings. In, In Luke chapter 11 and verse 54, they listened to what Jesus said, Not so that they could learn God's word, but they listened so they could find fault with Christ. Look at Luke 11 verse 54. It says on the screen, They they laid in wait for him, seeking to catch something out of his mouth, that they might accuse him. Good grief. Can you imagine having to be Christ and like, like literally every moment that you do something, every moment that you open your mouth, there's always a skeptic right there. Can you imagine? Now can you imagine that those disciples that are following Christ by faith are experiencing the same scrutiny and criticism and we ought to learn if Jesus experienced it, if true disciples of Christ experienced it, well guess what? Who else is going to experience it? Well, We'll experience it. We need to learn that we need to walk in faith and and not be found like a religious Pharisee. Number three, listen, these Pharisees falsely accused Christ's motives and Christ's power. And we see that in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, the disciple is not above his master. And that's a good highlight verse in your Bible. But, so anything that, that Christ experienced in his ministry is something we probably will experience in his ministry, nor the servant above his Lord is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of this household? And the point is, the Pharisees actually criticized Jesus's ministry and said, "Look, he's not doing that in the power of God. He's doing it in the power of Satan. He's casting out devils by the devil himself." Well, that's blasphemy. It was blasphemous, and yet these Pharisees in their mind were right because they were false. they were accusing him. they felt like they had a reasonable cause. The truth is they were absolutely wrong with that assumption. And then lastly, they redefine... Biblical terms and that's what pharisees do. That's what religious pharisees do. They redefine biblical terms because when they saw the disciples eating with unwashed hands they said those men are defiled Well, that's a that's a very strong word in the bible As a matter of fact as you look on the screen or maybe you're watching at home and you see the slide flash up when you study the word defiled in the bible, it's associated with things like fornication, not keeping the Sabbath, eating unclean animals, adultery, leprosy, and demon possession, and sorcery. Okay, those are pretty high-level things that will define, define excuse me, defile a man. But the Bible's pretty silent on the hand-washing thing. Can I just tell you? And so what they did was, what a lot of modern Pharisees do today, they redefine biblical terms and they say, well, I know the Bible says this, but really, because you're eating with unwashed hands, that makes you defiled. Well, no, it doesn't. Not according to a biblical authority. Not according to a biblical authority. So so Pharisees redefine biblical terms. They're really good at finding fault in other people, and yet the disciples were just following Christ in faith. And, and Even in the Old Testament, we see pictures of this. Like, Do you guys remember the story of Daniel? Daniel was in captivity with, with the nation of Israel. He was under some pagan kings, and, uh, and he was just a guy that loved God. He trusted God in his circumstances. Daniel chapter 6, verses 3 to 5, the Bible says that Daniel was preferred above all the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm, and the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel. I mean, I mean, they were critical of him. They were watchful of him. They listened to every word he said. They, they, they sought a ki- a occasion against him concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we cannot find fault in any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his, of his God. And, and, and so the point is, even, Dan, even in the Old Testament, men of God, like Daniel, they experienced constant criticism, constant scrutiny. And we have to decide for ourselves how we're going to follow Christ. We're either going to follow him falsely to ultimately find fault in other people, or we're going to follow him in faith. And, 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 and I want to encourage you. Listen, you land on one side of that fence, but you can't straddle it. You land on one side of it, man. You can't straddle it you're either on the side of following Christ in attempts to to falsely accuse other people and to prove this Christianity, Christianity thing is wrong, or you follow him in faith because you know he's the son of God. And so here's the key question. Number one, are you looking to find fault in others? And we're all guilty of that. But if you're constantly doing that, we have to understand that that makes us like a Pharisee, a religious Pharisee, and, and, and if, if you're looking for fault in other people, can I rest assured, give you the assurance, you're going to find it. You're going to find it because your expectation of other people's actions, words, behavior, beliefs, your expectation will probably be something that's extra biblical in nature. Because people don't meet your expectation. You'll find shortcomings in other people's lives. And listen, the Pharisees were masters at using religion and tradition to ensnare people and to put people into bondage. Christianity is not about that. People have a viewed, uh, a skewed view of Christianity, and I think the the reason they have a skewed view is because they've they've been around too many Pharisees, quite honestly. The only people that they've been around are are religious Pharisees, and, 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 and Christianity is not a religion, and it's not a tradition of men. It's a relationship with the God of this universe and Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And So listen, do, do, we, do we constantly find fault in other people? It makes us a Pharisee. The second question is this, are we following Christ in faith? And if we are, that's what makes us a disciple. It's what makes us a disciple. It's following Christ. And, and listen, we've seen that all the way through the book of Mark. We've seen those disciples. Man, Mark's gospel is pretty cool because it's just story after story. It's just black and white, just boom, boom, boom. It's just incident after incident where they have a walk with Christ, they, they learn, they grow, they fail, they're restored, and ultimately that's what it's about. It's about following Christ in faith. And let me just say this, you aren't accountable to live up to anyone else's expectation other than Christ's, but you are accountable to live up to his as a child of God, as a believer in Christ. And so, and so we need to expect scrutiny. We need to realize that other people are going to find fault. And And the truth is they'll find fault not only with one thing such as hand washing they'll find fault with many other things because they're constantly looking for those things, but realize that other people's expectations of you, if it's not biblical, then ultimately it's tradition and religion and and we're not accountable to religion and tradition we're accountable to God and an authority of scripture. does that make sense and so and so listen if if we fall on either side of that fence. We need to be operating in faith, or ultimately we're going to find fault in other people. Go down to verse 6. Let's get to the second point. So, you know, these Pharisees are kind of, they're upset. They go to Jesus. Look, we see your, your boys eating without washed hands. That's kind of gross. Don't you know the tradition of the elders, Jesus? Okay. Yeah, he knows it. Look at verse 6. And he answered and said unto them, "Well hath, uh, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. There it is. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition." And then he gives them a very real example. He says, Moses said, honor thy father and mother, and whosoever curseth his father or mother, let him die the death. And he quotes Exodus. We'll get there in just a second. So he says, listen, the scripture is very clear on how you're to honor your parents. Verse 11, but ye say... And here's what they do, man, they, they, they redefine the Bible to fit their agenda. Ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or for his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered and many such like things do ye. And I'm going to explain the illustration that Jesus used there. So in your, in, your, in your notes, here's the second thing. The truth is that we're gonna find walking in truth or tradition. In truth or tradition, Pharisees walk in tradition, disciples of Christ adhere to truth. They, they adhere to the Bible, to scriptural truth. And let me tell you what God's word and the incarnate God of word, uh, word of God says about those that walk in tradition. And it, I think it's in your notes, here's a key. Anyone who who replaces the sufficiency and the authority of scripture, according to Jesus Christ, is a hypocrite. And, And I don't know if you caught that, but what he's saying is, listen, the Bible is enough. The scriptures are sufficient. That's what we're to walk in faith with. Anything beyond a biblical authority in our life that gets elevated to a position of sufficiency, such as tradition. God says that's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. And and listen, there are, uh, we don't have the time, and I don't want to be, you know, a jerk and name them all, but there are plenty of religious organizations that operate under the realm of tradition of men. And they elevate the tradition of men and of their religion and of their organization to a level equally authoritative as Scripture. And friends, the Bible says, that's hypocrisy. That is absolute hypocrisy. They are hypocrites. And so listen, the practice of washing hands wasn't taken from the scriptures by the Pharisees. It was a result of the tradition of men. And at the end of the day, we have to decide what we're going to follow tradition or truth. What are we going to follow tradition or truth? And, and God tells you what he thinks of people that propagate and follow traditions of men. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Here's what you need to understand this morning. Tradition is not equal to the Word of God. It's not equal to the Word of God. Tradition is not authoritative like the Word of God is. In other words, hey, we do it this way. We've always done it this way. This is what my church is. Okay, listen, we, we, it's either truth or tradition. And if it's truth, we can't claim it as our tradition. Does that make sense? It's God's truth. And we do it because God's word says so, and you can't hold, and I can't hold truth and tradition at the same time. What you hold determines what you lay aside. And those Pharisees had laid aside the word of God so they could hold their tradition. And that's a dangerous thing, and we need to learn from that. And so God wants us to walk in truth, not in tradition, but oh friend, listen, tradition equals good religion. Here's what you need to know. Number one, religious tradition produces vain worship. So, so, so we can follow tradition and still have church. That's dangerous. That's hypocrisy. So what Jesus does is he quotes the Old Testament out of the book of Isaiah, verse 29 and verse 13. He breaks out the scriptures on them. By the way, they, they didn't like that because it messed up their tradition. <laughs> and he actually said, your tradition is a fulfillment of prophecy uh, that's, that's against the word of God. Uh, Isaiah 29 and verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw nigh to me with their mouth and with their lips, they do honor me, but they re- they've removed their heart from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of, of men. In other words, the word of men, the laws of man, not the word of God. And so, religious tradition produces vain worship. I mean, listen, these people gave lip service to God. They could say the right things. They could quote scripture. They could pray. They could speak Christianese, because honestly, it doesn't take much to figure that out. Let's just be honest. In, in America, there are people that have learned a second language. And it's not, excuse me, it's not Spanish and it's not, you know, Portuguese, it's Christianity. There are religious people that have learned a second language because. They, they adhere to traditions of men. They honor God with their lips. They say the right thing outwardly. Jesus said, in vain do they worship me, and the word vain literally means fruitlessly. They worship me without fruit, without effect. It's vanity. And yet, tradition produces worship. It's not the worship that God's looking for, or God, or God receives for that matter. Secondly, re- religious tradition is full of teachers. And that's what blows my mind, man. There's no shortage of teachers in religious tradition. Verse seven, Jesus said, teaching for doctrines, the commandments of men. And again, in Isaiah, it says that, that, that man, God, God said that you're adhering to the precepts of men instead of the precepts of God. The word precept literally means the command or the ordinances or the statutes or the laws of, and, and it, it is very interesting to me that religion is full of teachers, full of authors, full of quote unquote, I, lose, I use the term very loosely, Christian authors. Okay, and I'm not trying to be an idiot this morning or be a jerk, but what I am saying is there's no shortage of information available. And, and most of it is rooted in religious tradition instead of biblical authority. We don't need the precepts of men, we need the precepts of God. We need a, a, a biblical authority in our life. If you read Psalm 119, over and over and over, the psalmist talks about desiring God's precepts. He, he says in Psalm 119 verse 4, thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Not man's precepts, not man's commandments, man's ordinances, God's words. We, we want to keep God's words diligently. Diligently, Psalm 119 and verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. And and we don't have time, but if you read Psalm 119, 21 times in that chapter, God uses the word thy precepts, God's word, God's commandments, God's ordinances, God's statutes. But tradition, man, tradition will produce teachers. We have to be careful what we give heed to. We have to make sure we're not giving heed to tradition, but we're giving heed to truth. And and truth is only the word of God as it relates to our our walk. Okay. Number three, religious tradition seeks to usurp biblical authority. In other words, to overthrow, to undermine biblical authority. Tradition seeks to usurp biblical authority. And this is where Jesus in, in his rebuke of the Pharisees used the illustration. He said, okay, look, Here's what Moses said. Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother. He quoted Exodus 20 and verse 12. Then he said, whosoever curseth his father or mother, let him die the death. He quoted Exodus 21 and verse 17. And so Jesus, you know, sermonette, two verses, that's all he needed. He says, here's what the word of God says, you know this because Moses said it, and they they really held Moses in high regard. But then he said in verse 11, but ye say, okay, so so you know what God's word says, but you're seeking to usurp God's word and its authority in your life. God's word said, honor your mother and father. God's word said, if you you curse them, well, you get the death penalty. Okay, Old Testament, still needs to be a warning for the kids in the room today. God takes honoring your mother and father very seriously. He takes it very, very, by the way, that, that's also a New Testament command. Don't, don't think it got eliminated on the cross of Calvary. It, it transferred through, okay? You can eat shrimp while you do it, but you better honor your mother and father, okay? <laughs> Let's make the Old Testament and New Testament divisions properly. So, so here's what was happening. He says, he says, listen, here's what you're saying to your mother and father. It is Corbin. Okay, what is he talking about? Well, the idea, and let me just give you the paraphrased idea, the idea is when a man realized that he had a responsibility to care for his parents, that that creates a financial burden. It it creates a financial responsibility. The parents are getting older, and and the, the children were supposed to take care of their parents. So instead of putting money aside or preparing for that or spending what was needed to take care of their mother and father, they took it and gave it to the temple as a gift instead of using it to take care of their parents. And then when their parents had need, there wouldn't be any money because they gave a gift to God. Well, what's interesting is when you you really study that thing out, if you go back to Leviticus 27, if somebody brought a gift like that, they could actually redeem that gift back to themselves. They could purchase it back by adding a fifth, by adding 20%. And so what would happen is a Pharisee would would put most of his financial resources at the temple. He would say it was a gift so that he wouldn't have to spend it on his mother and father. When his mom and dad got sick, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. We don't have any money to help you. And then his mom and dad would pass away. Then he would go right back down to the temple, pay the fifth to redeem his money and get his gift back. God says, God's word says, honor your father, father and mother. But ye say, oh, my, all my stuff's gone. It's a gift. And, and what they would do, would, would declare his, his goods or his financial resources Corban or Corban, and then he would redeem them back after his parents had passed. And, and listen, again, using the scriptures to justify it going back to Leviticus 27 and some other things. Violate one portion of Scripture and and use another part for their benefit. Do you see how that works? And Pharisees are really good at that. Defying and rejecting the clear, simple obedience to the simple truths of God's Word so that they think they can find a loophole in the technicalities. See, Pharisees are really good at that. Religious people in our culture are really good at at that. There are certain groups that are really really good at that and and they are usurping biblical authority and jesus called it out he said look here's what moses said it's plain you show honor to your mother and father and and again he's dealing with their heart their issue the issue is not the money the issue is their heart the issue is not the tradition the issue is their heart and then and then fifthly or fourthly in your notes look religious tradition creates an extra-biblical authority. So in other words, not only do Pharisees reject the simple truths in God's Word, but then what they do is they create an extra-biblical authority that you should adhere to. In other words, okay, yeah, I know you got a Bible, but you also should make sure you wash your hands. Because if you don't wash your hands in, in God's eyes, you're unclean. And, and, and listen, simple folk hear that from people that are you know PhD educated and think well, why would this guy deceive me and they follow it and again this sermon is not against people that blindly follow or ignorantly follow false teachers but it certainly is against those that would propagate such doctrine when, when our tradition creates an extra biblical authority we have violated the very principles of the scripture themselves we have become Pharisee in other words In other words, we elevate other authorities equal to God's word. Let me tell you how it works. In some churches and religious organizations, they say, read the Bible. We believe the Bible. We trust the Bible. But we also take into consideration what the church fathers teach and wrote. In other words, they elevate the early writings of the church fathers equal with biblical authority. They they equal the tradition of the early church. With the word of God, we still do it today. The Bible is is good, but listen, you should also read fill in the blank your favorite modern author. And I won't list them for conscience' sake today. Come back next week, maybe I will. I'm trying to be nice this morning. You know, the sad thing is, most people can quote more Pharisees than they can quote Scripture and Christianity. And the reason why is because there's a propagation of of tradition. And we need to get back to the Bible. We need need to get back to the word of God. What the church needs is a a fresh desire to hear from God's word, rightly divided in context, accurately taught, with no extra biblical content, no usurping of authority, no tradition attached. What does the simple word of God say for my life? Romans chapter three and verse four is the, the mindset we should have. God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. You know why you get notes on Sunday morning? So you can go home and study it yourself and say, man, Jay lines up with the scripture or Jay's a liar. And listen, if you find it that I got it wrong, I'm not above reproach, man, and I'm not above rebuke. And if I get it wrong, come talk to me and let's, let's work it out. But, but listen, we, we have to make sure that we put God in his word as truth, else we fall into religious tradition. We'll say things like, "Ah, oh, that's the way we've always done it around here. That's the way we've always done it. And, and listen, I'm not trying to be an idiot. But, but if the way we've always done it is because the Word of God says so, that's not tradition. That's truth. That's truth. It's not even our tradition. But if it's the way we've always done it, and yet there's no biblical precedent for it, well, guess what? That's tradition. And, 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 so, and so we have to consider that. And, and here's the result. Here's the danger of religion and what it does to the Word of God in our lives. Ultimately, lastly, in this point, the result is the Word of God has no effect in our life. And and Jesus says that. He says, listen, you lay, and he's, he's dealing with these Pharisees. He says, you lay aside the commandments of God so that you can hold the traditions. And what God would rather you hold is he would rather you hold fast the faithful word, according to Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 they've rejected the commandments of God so that they could keep their tradition. But, but Jesus would really rather have them keep the forms of sound words, according to second Timothy chapter one, verses 13 and 14. And ultimately Jesus says, when you do this, it makes the word of God of none effect. In other words, the word of God doesn't have any effect on your life. First Thessalonians chapter two and verse 13. If, if we get stooped in tradition and religion, it literally blocks the Word of God from impacting and affecting our life to bring more glory to God. First Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, Paul writes and he says, For this cause, uh, thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the Word of men. So if somebody stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, and it's rightly divided, and it's in context, we need to receive it, not as Jay's words or Cody's words. We need to receive it as God's word, if it comes from this book. And these Thessalonians did that, and he says concerning God's word, it it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. It's the word of God that does the work. That's why we don't need... (laughs) That's why we don't need religion and don't need tradition. They don't work. It doesn't work. All it does is make more Pharisees. That's all it does. It makes more religious people. Jesus is not really interested in religious people. He's really interested in disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ. And and listen, religion and tradition and extra biblical authority, all those things render the word of God ineffective in our life tradition will promote a insufficient view of the scriptures because you think you will need something else to define your spirituality you'll get and you may not ever say it out loud but but you'll get to the point that you think the word of god is not enough the word of god is not enough i have to have the word of god plus these works i have to have the word of god plus these writings i have to have the word of god plus these traditions you're always going to be seeking to do something outside the boundaries of scriptures, so that you're viewed undefiled in God's eyes. That's legalism. That's tradition. That's religion. You know, Pilate in, in the New Testament, you know, remember the, the issue in Mark seven, 7 was washing of hands, right? And, and and if that could somehow make you undefiled, well, there's a man named Pilate uh, In Matthew 27, the the guy that literally realized that Jesus Christ is innocent, the Jews brought Christ to to Pilate and he stands and he says, Man, I have no fault. I see no fault in this man. You're you're asking me to do something to an innocent man. Matthew 27 and verse 24, the Bible says that when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, and, and the point is against the Jews, that he rather atonement was made, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, Listen to this. I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Wow. What's interesting is, the Pharisees were doing the same thing. I am innocent because of what I do. And I, I'm professing my own innocence before God because of what I've done. Are you kidding me? Listen, listen. Pilate had just rejected the incarnate word of God and laid him aside to be crucified. He was not innocent, no matter what he professed about himself, no matter what he did in washing of his hands, he washed his hands and professed his own innocence. The Pharisees washed their hands and professed their own innocence. Both are guilty in God's eyes, because tradition and religion don't deal with the main issue. Because the main issue is the heart. Which leads us to our last point, and, and, and here's where we're going to wind it down. We have to realize that God is really interested not so much in the outward, but in the inward. That, that's what God is interested in. And so, in your blanks, we're, go- we're going to look at the difference between outward tradition, outward religion. An inward transformation, and if you look at verse fourteen, we'll, we'll read that last portion of scripture, the last third. There it says, "When he called his okay, so he's just rebuked the Pharisees, right? He used Scripture to do it. Two verses, he called out their, their hypocrisies. Like, man, you guys have blown it. You're extra biblical. Your 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 tradition is equated to the authority of Scripture, which is wrong. Nothing in the Old Testament about hand washing. You you guys are you guys are making your own religion." And plenty of places do that look at verse 14 when he called his uh he called all the people and i want you to know that he called all the people because they were on the receiving end of this teaching from the pharisees everybody knew what the pharisees demanded to be undefiled when he had called all the people unto him he said to them hearken unto me every one of you and understand in other words quit listening to these gas bags and and listen to the Son of God. That's, that's what he's saying. You listen to me and understand there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the thing which cometh out of him, those are what defile the man. So, so Jesus is about to give a biblical definition of what defiles a man. And he says, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever things from without, and, and the word without means outside, outside, entering into a man, it cannot defile him. Okay? Because it entereth not into his into his heart. Where does it go? It goes into his gut. <laughs> and and he says, It goes into the belly, and it goeth out into the draught. And that's a really nice King James definition of what happens after you eat those donuts. (laughs) And after you eat your lunch, he says it's going to go out in the draught purging all meats. Isn't that gross? Okay, let's move on. (laughs) The point is that the stuff doesn't hit your heart because the heart's the issue, right? He said, that which cometh out of a man that's what defileth the man. For from within, and here it is, out of the heart of men. Here's what comes out of your heart. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness. By the way, covetousness is equated to idolatry. Wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, pride and foolishness. And, and, and listen, I think we all could read that list and say, okay, a few of those, yeah. That comes from within the heart. All of these evil things come from within and defile the man. And Jesus is making it very, very clear. You can polish that outside all you want. It doesn't fix the issue. The issue is the heart the issue is the heart. You can't do enough good. You can't keep enough religious rules. You can't have enough tradition to deal with the the real issue because the real issue is the issue of the heart. And so biblical Christianity, and here's what separates Christianity from any other cult or religious group. Biblical Christianity, key word on the biblical. Biblical Christianity results in an inward transformation. Listen, that is the issue the issue is the heart and and listen god deals with the heart he didn't deal with the externals he's interested in your heart and and and, you know this is where we got the title from the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart and i'm not talking about your blood pumper so to speak that organ that's circulating your blood through your body i'm talking about your person that's the way god Defines your heart. It's it's your inner person, your inner man. Job thirty-eight and verse thirty-six. God's word says, "Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Who hath given understanding to the heart?" Your heart can understand some things about God. First Samuel sixteen verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, "Look not on his countenance." or on the height of his stature because I've refused him. Remember this is when, uh, when, when David was going to be anointed king and Jesse paraded all of his sons out right in, in front of Samuel and, and the tallest and the biggest and the most handsome had to be the obvious choice because he looked right on the outside. And the Lord had to tell Samuel, you're looking at the wrong thing. The Lord see, seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, we sure do, and sometimes we do it so well it makes us Pharisees. But the Lord looketh on the heart. You see, Jesus can see our inward parts when no one else can. And for that group of people, those religious Pharisees, man, listen, the outside look really good. You wouldn't find anybody more cleaned up, prepared, conservative, right in, in their own eyes, what, what you would consider quote unquote a, a a Bible-thumper, Bible-following, God-worshipping person would look like, whatever that looks like, by the way. But Jesus saw right through that. I was like, "Nah, no, dude, your, your hearts are kind of jacked up. And, and, and we need to understand that outward, what, what manifests outwardly doesn't always accurately reflect what's on the inside. Uh, and, and this is a continual thing that Jesus criticized the, the Pharisees of. In Matthew 23, He talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. He called them hypocrites again. This thing kind of keeps coming up. He says, you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Well, that sounds like some religious people and some religious organizations and some cults. Within are full of extortion and excess. Extortion? <laughs> well, there's some religious groups that have had their hand in some extortion over the years. But we'll move on because I'm trying to be nice this morning. Luke 11 and verse 39, the Lord said unto him, uh, Now do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. And again, he gives us more insight into the condition of the heart. The point is, and here's your next blank. Look, our heart, our heart, because of our sin, our heart is deceitful. Our heart is absolutely Deceitful. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Above how many things? All things. And by the way, all means all. Not the elect things, all things. It's deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. There's only one person, and and listen, there is one person, and it is the Lord. And listen, he does search our heart. He tries the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Okay, so our heart as sinful man is, 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 is wicked. It is absolutely unworthy. It's deceivable. We can't even trust it. Oh, I really feel like my heart's leading me to do this. Stop. Whatever your heart is leading to, to do, just please stop. It's deceitful above all things. Oh, by the way, it's desperately wicked too. I really feel in my heart, stop. And I I know that maybe comes across as a little hard, but but I'm just telling you, the Bible tells you that your heart is no good, man. Just stop. Because it's deceitfully wicked and, and desperately wicked and deceitful, number two, our heart needs to be cleansed. Our heart needs to be cleansed. And there's only one person that can do that. You see, we can polish the outside, right? We can make the outside look right. We can dress the right way, whatever that is. We can polish the cup. We can wash our hands. We can wash our plates. We we can do our laundry. We can wear the Christian outfit, whatever that is. I'm sure there's a beard involved. There has to be. Okay. I wonder what they did for beard oil in the first century. Olive oil? What do you think? Probably had to be olive oil. Okay, anyways. But the issue is none of that can ever get to our heart, our inward man, our inward person. That's why, listen, the God that searches our hearts He's the only one that can clean it. He's the only one that can take that dirty, rotten, sinful heart and transform it. David prayed in Psalm 51 verses six and seven. This is after his sin with Bathsheba. David said, behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts. He, he doesn't say you desire tradition. He said, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make, uh, make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop that I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Listen, that happens at the moment of salvation. When you come to Christ as a sinful man, as a sinful woman, as a sinful child, and realize my outside is no good, and I've tried to polish it the best I can and look right and talk right and do right, well, God knows the heart, And God looks at that heart and says, yeah, but the heart's still not clean because I haven't cleansed it. That's what coming to Christ is. That's what salvation really is. It's it's allowing the God that sees the heart to create in us a clean heart through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's, That's it. David knew that only God could make him clean. And David knew that God wanted his inside right where true cleanness, true purity comes from. It flows from the inside out. And that's what true Christianity looks like. It flows from the inside out, not from the outside in. If I start doing all these things then somehow that'll, that'll eventually seep into my heart. That's not how it works. It works from the inside out. And so listen, if you don't know Christ today, I want to encourage you that, that no, no amount of religion, no amount of tradition, no amount of things that you try to do will ever be enough to get to your heart. Only Christ can do that because Christ is the one that searches our heart. He knows that we're sinful and broken. And even while we were sinners, he he came, he died for us and for our sin. And then the last thing is this. Listen, our heart needs to be kept because the inward man is the root of our, our walk with the Lord. Proverbs 4 and verse 23, it says, keep thy heart with all diligence. How much diligence? All diligence for out of it, out of the heart are the issues of life and and we need to guard our heart, watch over our heart, protect our heart, preserve our heart, because that's where truly, true worship comes from. It comes from the heart, it comes from the heart. And so I know you got all your blinks now and you think it's time to quit, but we're not done yet. You can close your Bibles if you want to, but, but let me challenge you a little bit as we, as we wind it down. We're, we are done, give me three minutes. Let's go back to where we started. The first thing we got to ask ourselves is, okay, do, do I identify more with a Pharisee or a disciple of Christ? And I think the answer to that for each of us is, what are we looking for? And, and if we're looking at other people and finding fault with other people and, and criticizing other people to our standard of Christianity, whatever that may be, we probably have taken our eyes off of Christ. And maybe you're here and you truly are a disciple of Christ. And, and listen, the skeptics bother you and worry you. And, and listen, can I just tell you, it's going to be a part of your walk until Jesus comes. Can you find yourself finding strength and comfort and solace in him? Jesus experienced that. Paul experienced that. we Will experience that. Don't let criticism, don't let the criticism of others that are religious, Detract from your faith. Keep following Christ. Keep following. Listen, just keep following Christ. You can turn the volume down. The, the, the naysayers are going to be there. Okay, well I'm not giving them the time of day. I'm going to listen to my Lord. I'm going to spend time in His Word. I want to walk with Him. Do you find fault or are you following in faith? Number two, do you concern yourself more with tradition or truth? And that's a big one in church world. That's a big one in church world. We have to make sure that what we do is based on truth, and if it just happens to be something that we've always done all along, well, we just did it because it's biblical. That's not our tradition. It's God's truth. But if we ever get to the place where we place truth with tradition, we've messed up. We've created another authority that's not God's word in our life. And then lastly, look, we should all desire to let God transform our heart. And, 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 and listen, only he can do that. Only he can do that. That means that the word of God has to get into the inward part. Do you desire God's word to get into the inward parts of your life? You remember the Psalm verse 51, David said, I need truth in the hidden part. And isn't it interesting that God knows where all those hiding places are. God, God's word is like a flashlight, man. And I, oh, no, 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 I tucked that thing away and nobody knows about that. Well, the Lord does. And God wants to get his truth into our hidden parts so he can transform us from the inside out. Guys, I want to encourage you with that. Number one, if you're not saved today, I want you to know you can be saved. God will forgive you through, through Jesus Christ's blood. No amount of religion can ever do that, but Jesus can. And I want to encourage you with that. Number two, let's walk in faith. Amen. Let's, let's walk in faith and please him and follow him. No matter what the skeptics may say. All right, let's pray and we'll, we'll dismiss. Father.